2 Kings chapter 4 is the place I believe God has a word to share with us tonight. So if you would, get, grab your copy of God's Word and start making your way to the book of 2 Kings. If you don't know where 2 Kings is, I'll give you a hint. It's in the Old Testament. So already we're halfway there just in case you're a little bit lost. But in case that doesn't get you there, it's right after 1 Kings, which is right after 2 Samuel which is right after 1 Samuel, which is right after Ruth, which is right after Judges, which is right after Joshua. And if you still need help, I would encourage you to consult the table of contents, which, believe it or not, God placed in the Bible to convict us of the fact that we don't know His Word as well as we should. Man, that was hard starting out, wasn't it? I'm sorry, I didn't mean it like that. But seriously... Get to know the Word of God on a deeper level, if you haven't been recently. 2 Kings chapter 4 is where I believe God has a word for us tonight. Let me set this thing up for you before we get into the passage. As we get into the passage here in a moment, we're going to be introduced to a man named Elisha. Everybody say Elisha. That's Elisha, not Elijah. A lot of people get them confused. They're they're Real good buddies, they were prophets almost at the same time. Elijah came before Elisha, so Elisha was kind of Elijah's protege. So we're going to be introduced to a man named Elisha. He was a prophet of God to the nation of Israel. Now the nation of Israel was going through a time of difficulty when we enter into this passage. It was a time of famine, it was a time of drought, it was a time of desperation. And that all came as a result of the fact that they had decided to turn their backs against God and start worshiping idols, specifically the idol of Baal. And so they're going through a time of difficulty. They're going through a time of famine as a direct result of their disobedience against God. Let me tell you something just real quick as we get started tonight. Disobedience will always bring difficulty. Always. Disobedience will always bring difficulty. Difficulty. Now, I'm not saying that you won't go through times in your life when you're walking by the Spirit and you're doing your best to honor God that you still won't encounter difficulty. I understand that happens. But when you are disobedient, it always brings about difficulty. That don't even have to do with anything spiritually. If you go outside these walls and you act in a disobedient way against the laws of our government, I promise you your life's going to get a lot more difficult than what it would be if you just obeyed the rules. Disobedience always brings difficulty. So God raised up Elisha to call the people back to God and away from their idols, which included in his ministry some very interesting occurrences, as well as teachable moments, one of which we encounter tonight in 2 Kings chapter 4, starting in verse 38. The Word of God reads, And Elisha came again to Gilgal when there was a famine in the land. And as the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, he said to his servant, Set on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. One of them went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered from it his lap full of wild gourds and came and cut them up into the pot of stew, not knowing what they were. And they poured out some for the men to eat. But while they were eating of the stew, they cried out, O man of God, there is death in the pot, and they could not eat it. 
He said, he being Elisha said, then bring flour. And he threw it into the pot and said, pour some out for the men that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. Tonight I want to speak to you about poison in the pot. Have you ever had a really bad case of food poisoning? Anybody had just a really terrible case of food poisoning? Show of hands. Nobody in this room has had food poisoning. Like seven people. Count your blessings then. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemies. I had a bad case of food poisoning a while back, and I won't bother to tell you that it came from McDonald's, but it was a bad quarter pounder, I do believe. And I won't bother to tell you even more specifically that it was the one in seven points right there outside of campus. But it's been about two or three months ago, I went and got a quarter pounder. Sometimes, you know, we all grow up eating McDonald's like, it, like it's going out of style or something as kids. Like you can't get enough of the Happy Meal. I don't know if it's the chicken nuggets. I don't know if it's just the toys. But all of us grow up just downing some McDonald's. And then we kind of hit this phase of life where we get burned out on it, right? Like, like I, can't, I don't think I can do any more McDonald's. But then every now and then you just got to go back to it. Like you get to craving that McDouble, that Quarter Pounder, that Big Mac, something. You just got to have a McDonald's fix every now and then. That was me on this particular day. I don't eat McDonald's that much anymore, but on this particular day, I was like, man, I'm just filling a quarter pounder with cheese. So I went and got one. And about the third bite, I thought to myself, it's a little strange. It's a little... I don't know what that is, but I looked at it, and it looked like it was cooked fine. I thought, ah, it's probably no big deal. It wasn't no big deal until about 1 a.m. that morning. And all of a sudden, it became a real big deal at that moment. And I was sick as a dog for like the next six or seven hours. Food poisoning, it's, it's terrible. For a period of time, it's one of the most awful things that I think you can experience. So here we have Elisha, and he's traveling around with this group of guys, and he tells his servant to put some stew on for them. So one guy goes out and he picks these wild gourds that he finds and he puts them in the stew and everyone gets sick like immediately. I'm not talking about like it was a few hours afterwards. It's like they take a few sips of the stew. All of a sudden everybody is getting sick almost immediately. So now the, the question for me became as I'm reading through this passage, I'm trying to get ready for tonight and trying to work through what God wants me to speak into your lives. I'm reading this passage and I feel like God wants me to preach on this particular passage, which is strange enough as it is, but as I'm working through it and I look at it, I have this thought. It's quite simply this. Why in the world is this in the Bible? I mean, seriously. Why in the world does God decide to put this in Scripture? Of all things that he can put in scriptures, why is he putting this strange instance of these guys eating some fouled up stew? In the scriptures, oftentimes God teaches in a way that matches the current backdrop of our lives. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. Some of you right now, you feel like you're in kind of a holding pattern. You feel like you're in a never-ending season of waiting. It's like you want to make the next move, but the next move just won't show up so that you can make it. You feel like you're in this holding pattern. You feel like you're in this season of waiting. Well, it's quite possibly because God's trying to teach you patience. Some of you here tonight are dealing with a lot of anxiety, a lot of anxiousness, a lot of worry, a lot of stress. You've got tests going on. 
you've got the situation that we're in right now with the virus and all this other stuff complicating school for you as it is, complicating your job life, complicating your family life. You're dealing with a lot of anxiousness, anxiousness right now. There's a lot of uncertainty that you're battling in your life. You're not sure how things are going to turn out. Well, it's quite possible that in this season, God's trying to teach you trust. Some of us here tonight, I, I think, are dealing with some failure. It seems like you can't get a win here lately. Everything that you do, every choice that you make turns out to be a wrong one. Every road that you turned down should have been the one that you didn't go down. And it seems like everything about your life right now just seems to be a little bit of a failure. You can't seem to find victory anywhere. You can't seem to have anything fall in your favor, fall on your side of the fence for once. Well, quite possibly during this time of your life, God is trying to teach you humility in some things. Some of us, I think, are struggling with envy. You're envious of the things that other people have compared to what you don't. And you wonder why God seems to bring so much blessing and favor into their lives when they're not walking with Him like you are, and you struggle with His blessing being on their life and not on yours for whatever reason. And so you become envious of all your peers around you and the things that they have in their life that seem to be absent from yours. Maybe God in this season is trying to teach you contentment. What I'm trying to say is that oftentimes God teaches in a way that matches the current backdrop of our lives. These people were in a time of famine. They had plunged neck deep into idol worship. But they weren't just physically dry. They were spiritually dry. They were poisoned. They were sick. And they were dying. And God was using this right here as a means to show them that. I believe he brought us here tonight to this specific passage because we're being poisoned too. There's poison in the pot of our lives that needs to be gotten rid of before it ends up killing us. So I want to show you some things about this tonight. Before we do so, I want to pray for us again real quick. God, I pray that you would help me lay this message out exactly like you laid it out upon my heart and that you would, in these next few moments, protect each and every man and woman in this room from anything that might be my thoughts and instead give us your truth. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. I want to show you some things about when you get poison in the pot and what to do about it. The first thing is, is the fact that you can't avoid appetite. You cannot avoid appetite. Go back and look at verse 38 with me. It says, Elisha came again to Gilgal when there was a famine in the land. And as the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, he said to his servant, Set on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. At the very beginning of the passage, it's pointed out and made clear to us that there is a famine going on in the land that these people are in. Food was a scarcity. You couldn't hardly find any at all. Now, we're blessed to live in a place where we don't know what that's about. If you want something to eat, all you got to do is go find it. If you can't find anything to eat, you can just keep coming here once a month, we'll give you something. We're blessed to live in a, a land of plenty and abundance where we don't have to worry about where our next meal is going to come from. The only thing I've ever even seen close to a food shortage was when this quarantine stuff first happened. I walked into Walmart, went over to the meat aisle, and I promise you there was not a single piece of meat on the shelf anywhere. 
There wasn't no bacon. There wasn't no bologna. There wasn't no ham. You couldn't get no burger. There wasn't no steak. All the meat was completely gone. But even in that instance, I could have went throughout the, school, the store and got all kinds of other stuff. There were plenty of other canned goods. We don't know what it's like to, to face a true scarcity of food. For these guys, it was a real struggle to find something to eat. Now, there are things in life that you can sometimes ignore for the most part and still go on doing what you're doing. Like, for instance, if a baby's screaming and crying, most of us can tune that out for the most part and go on about what we were doing. If my son were to wake up, and he's once again sleeping, there are my messages tonight. It seems to be a habit we're going to have to have a talk about when I get home later. But if my son were to wake up and go to screaming and crying, I would go on doing what I'm doing up here. For the most part, could tune that out. Some of you, you live in an apartment building, and you've got some neighbors that live above you. You're not blessed to be on the top floor. You're on the bottom. And your neighbors, for whatever reason, walk around like they got 25-pound cinder blocks strapped to the bottom of their feet. But for the most part, you've learned to tune that out, right? Because it only goes on for so long, eventually it's just natural to you. You don't even hear it anymore. You learn to tune that thing out. Some of us guys in here, when your girl calls, you just put it on speakerphone, you pick the sticks right back up, and you keep going like nothing ever happened, right? And some of you ladies in here are like, uh-uh, I know my man ain't doing nothing like that. Try FaceTiming him next time and see how well it goes. But when hunger sets in, when hunger sets in, you can't ignore that. Now, you can fight it, but no matter what, it keeps coming back. No matter what, it stays with you. You can't avoid appetite when it sets its mind on something. Everybody in here has got an appetite for something. But y'all know where this is going already, don't you? God has placed within all of us a spiritual appetite that only He can satisfy. And in the context of this narrative, his people had turned from him to worship a false god. And specifically, that false god was Baal, who just so happened to be the god of fruitfulness and fertility. You think God doesn't have a way of making a mockery of the things that we choose to place in front of him? These people were worshiping an idol that was supposed to bring about fruitfulness on the farm, and they're in a famine. God's trying to get their attention. They had turned from him and gone after this false god. And they weren't just physically starving, they were spiritually starving. Trying to satisfy their appetite with whatever was made available to them in the moment. Listen to me, because of our flesh, we all at times get an appetite for something other than God. Myself absolutely included in this. I'm not going to stand up here tonight and act like I don't ever get an appetite for something other than God every now and then. Because of our flesh, every single one of us battle this from time to time where an appetite begins to well up inside of us for something other than God. And this is where it gets dangerous because I want to tell you this. Satan appeals to appetite. Satan will appeal to appetite. Why? Because he wants to try to get you feeding on the wrong things. He has a noted pattern of doing this. Let me give you a little advice if you want to start learning how to experience victory over your enemy, start learning the tactics that he uses to defeat you. He leaves patterns. Satan appeals to appetite. He did it in the garden with Adam and Eve. When he showed up, the original sin, he appealed to an appetite. Did God really say? 
Why don't you find out for yourself? Instantly he appealed to mankind's appetite to be prideful and to do their own thing and to be their own God and to choose for themselves. He's even so bold to have tried it on Jesus. After he tempted him for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness when it was over with, he knew Jesus had been fasting and he was hungry. His appetite was roaring inside of him. So Satan said, well, why don't you just command these stones to become bread? Because I know you're hungry. If he's so bold as to tempt Jesus' appetite, don't you think he will come after yours to get you feeding on something else that you don't need to be feeding on? If we aren't careful with this, we'll end up searching for something else to put in the pot. This is when you've got to beware of dangerous vines. You have got to beware of dangerous vines. In verse 39, one of them went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered it his lap full of wild gourds and came and cut them up into the pot of stew, not knowing what they were. And they poured out some for the men to eat, but while they were eating of the stew, they cried out, O man of God, there's death in the pot, and they could not eat it. So Elisha tells his servant, hey, I tell you what, we're in a time of famine. Everybody's hungry. We're blessed to have a little bit of food. Go ahead and put on a pot of stew for these guys so that we can eat. In the process of that happening, one of these guys decides that he's going to go out looking for some herbs to add in. I don't know what he found. Maybe he found a little bit of wild onion and he sprinkled that in there. Maybe he found a little bit of oregano. He threw that in there. Maybe he found some parsley and he threw that in there. Y'all are probably too young. Some of my older people that are here tonight, y'all remember Emeril Lagasse, right? And the cooking show he had on TV. Man, everybody used to love watching Emeril because he'd go over there and get some spices. He'd walk over to the side and he'd be like, bam! And I can picture this guy doing that. He finds some wild herbs. He walks over to the pot and he's like, boy, this is going to be good. Bam! Bam! I'm going to spice this up for you, Elisha. And in the process of doing that, he comes across this wild vine that has these wild gourds growing on it. And he adds them in the process. So I want you to keep something in the back of your mind for a second. Hold on to this. What was wrong with Elisha's recipe? Was Elisha's stew not good enough? What was wrong with the recipe he had cooking? Anyways, this guy goes out and he finds these wild gourds and he picks a bunch to add. And then there's a key point that I want you to see in the midst of this. Finds these wild gourds, he cuts them up, he throws them in the pot, and then the Bible says this, not knowing what they were. Not knowing what they were. He comes across these gourds, they probably looked appealing, I would have to imagine. They probably even had an appealing aroma to them. So he looks at them and he's like, man, I'm not really sure what that is, but it looks good. It smells good. Got to be good, right? So we'll add this in and see how it spices things up. We'll see what kind of flavor that adds to it. Why not, right? I mean, in a time of famine, and when you're hungry enough, try anything. Especially when food's a scarcity. Side note, be careful what you do with your desperation. So he adds these to the pots and they end up being poisonous. So they cook it all up and now it's mealtime. And the next thing you know, those stomachs start churning and gargling. These guys are sitting around having dipped up a bowl of stew and imagine just how excited they were. We're in a famine, people. Who knows how long it had been since they had ate last. 
So imagine the excitement, the anticipation. They get that bowl of soup. I promise you, like, they didn't bother with no spoons. They were straight up turning that thing up like you just finished a bowl of Cheerios, and you got to let everybody in the house know you're topping off the milk. Just a... They get about three or four good slurps in, and all of a sudden it's like... They start looking around at each other like... What is that? Man, what in the world? And then the next thing you know, I'm not going to get into details of what I think happened. But I promise you, it's probably quite gross. <laughs> These guys are experiencing what I experienced with a fouled up quarter pounder at 1 a.m. in the morning. And they start crying out to Elisha, there's death in the pot, man. I don't know what that cat put in there, but it's killing us. We're going to die out here. Listen to me. Especially right here, because this is specifically what I feel like God put on me to speak tonight. Somewhere along the way, I don't know when and I don't know why. I told you earlier to hold on to something, and I hope that you have kept that in the back of your mind. Somewhere along the way, I don't know when, I don't know why, but God's recipe for your life all of a sudden wasn't good enough anymore. And so you went out looking for something else to add. And in the process, you came across some wild vines that had some wild gourds on it, and you thought, why not try that in the pot of my life. And there's four main ones that I feel like God placed upon my heart that specifically are impacting your generation. And I want to share what those are with you tonight. Some of you went out, all of a sudden God's recipe for your life just wasn't getting it anymore. That wasn't satisfying you anymore. So you found some wild vines with some wild gourds. And the first one some of you found was the gourd of social media. It looked harmless. It had a certain appeal about it, right? I can connect, I can keep up with my friends that I no longer see anymore. If they move off, we can still stay connected with each other. Plus, it's got some funny stuff on there. It makes me laugh from time to time. and Everybody needs to laugh, especially in the time that we're in now. So it looked harmless. It looked like it had a certain appeal to it. So I found social media, and I cut it up, and I put it in the pot of my life. But now your life hinges on likes. Now you are absolutely consumed by comparison. You've been pulled into this false reality of what life should look like through a perfectly edited pic of somebody else. And if your edits aren't quite as good as theirs, then that means your life must not be either. And it's poisoning you without you even realizing what it is. This guy found some wild gores and he put it in a pot, not knowing what it was. Social media came blasting into your life and it looked good and it seemed harmless. You added it to the pot not knowing what it was. Not knowing the poisons, not knowing the toxins that it was going to release in your life and it's making you sick because after all, you're being fed by the wrong feed. Some of us are being poisoned by the social media gourd. Some of us are being poisoned by the relationship gourd. And I'm not just talking about dating relationships either, so don't think you single people are going to get off easy right here. I'm not just talking about dating relationships. Once again, it looked harmless. It had a nice appeal. 
You find some guys, you find some girls, you find a community, you find somebody you feel like you belonged with, that you connected with. Y'all have some things in common. Y'all got to have a good time when you hang out. And so you think, well, I'm going to spend some time with them. I'm going to pour my life into these people. I'm going to do what they do, and I'm going to be where they're going to be at. Some of you find a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and you thought, man, that's a good thing. We're hitting it off pretty good. I'm glad that God brought this into my life. It looked harmless. It had nice appeal. But now, all of a sudden, you look around, and you're doing things that you never thought you would do. You're going places that you never even thought you would have ever ended up in. You never thought you'd wake up on that floor after blacking out. You never thought you'd end up in that back seat doing what you just did with that person. You find a relationship gourd. It looked good. It looked harmless. It looked appealing. And so you took it and you cut it up and you threw it in the pot of your life. You didn't realize it, but it's poison in you. Some of you have got some toxic relationships in your life. Whether that be through dating or whether that be with just the people you hang out with on the weekend. Some of you have got some toxic relationships in your life that are poisoning you. Some of you went out and you found an entertainment gourd. You find an entertainment gourd. Those movies that you watch, that music that you listen to, that Netflix subscription that you got, seemed appealing at first. It seemed harmless. After all, this kind of stuff doesn't affect anybody else, right? That's just for personal consumption. So even if there was any harm in it, it doesn't harm anybody else. It's a private thing anyway. Without you realizing it's selfishness and pride are creeping in, your attitude has changed. Your emotions have been desensitized by the things that you're taking in through a screen by the things that you're taking in through your AirPods. You didn't realize it, but it began to poison you. Listen to me. What you stream says a lot about where you stand, spiritually speaking. It's poisoning you. Some of you went out and you found the achievement gourd. All those things you desire so greatly to accomplish, the grades, career, money, all those things look good. It looked appealing. It looked harmless, so you thought, I'm going to sink my life into this stuff, or I'm going to add this to the pot of my life, so you picked it off the vine, you cut it up, and you threw it in the pot. You never thought it would cause any harm of, in your life, but without realizing it, selfishness and pride are dominating your life now. Nothing in you desires to serve others. Why? Because that subtracts from what you're trying to achieve. I can't spend time on anybody else because that leaves less time for the things that I desire to achieve in my life. And without you even realizing it, this achievement will begin to poison your life. I think a lot of us are sick. Your life is being poisoned because you're picking from a wild vine. And I'm not trying to be harsh on these things. And I'm going to bring it back full circle here in a moment. And I'm not trying to bash on social media. I've got it myself. I'm not trying to bash on relationships saying you ain't got to have friends. Or that you can't date anybody. I'm not trying to bash on entertainment. Trust me, my life is full of music. I'm not trying to bash on movies or Netflix or any of that other stuff. I'm not trying to bash on achievement. Go out and be the best that you can be. Make the best grade that you can be. Accomplish it as far as you can within your career field when you get into it. Be the best that you can be in the field that God has placed you. I'm not trying to bash on any of those things. But a lot of us are getting sick because your life's being poisoned by them. You're picking from the wild vine when Jesus said in John chapter 15 verses 1 and 4 through 5 that I am the true vine I am the true vine 
the one in which we need to be abiding in because apart from him, he says, you can do nothing. You're picking from the wrong vine. Jesus says, I am the true vine. We need to stay connected to him instead of allowing all these other wild vines of the world to poison our life. But here's the bottom line is some of you realize tonight, maybe it's the first time that the poison's in your system now. Took a big old swig of that soup. It smelled good. It looked good. And you couldn't wait to dive in. And now all of a sudden you're sick. And the poison's in your system. And what are you going to do about it? How's it going to get fixed? One simple remedy. You got to start flinging flour. You got to start flinging flour. Go back to verse 41. They cried out to Elisha saying there's death in the pot. And Elisha says this. Then bring flour. And he threw it in the pot and said, pour some out for the men that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. Once everybody realizes that the stew is poisonous, panic begins to set in. And they begin crying out to Elisha to help them. He tells them to bring me some flour. Bring me some flour. Which he then throws into the stove. Now my question is, once again, as if this passage wasn't strange enough. Why in the world, out of all the things that Elisha could have used, did he decide to sprinkle flour in the pot? And then encourage them to go ahead and finish eating. Why flour? Y'all know what the key ingredient in bread is? Flour. And I just happened to read in a book somewhere that Jesus is the bread of life. He has the power even to purify the poison that has infected your body. This is what I mean by saying you got to start flinging flour. When you realize poison is in your system, you have got to start flinging flour all over it. At first we're told that they couldn't eat it. They find out poison's in a pot. We can't eat this anymore. Now Elisha is saying, come and taste and see. And I read in that same book about that bread of life person in Psalm chapter 34, an invitation to taste and see that the Lord is good. Here's your encouragement tonight. If you've been poisoned, all you've got to do is start flinging flour. And the added benefit is, is that now what poisoned you can actually be consumed for your good. Once you start sprinkling the bread of life, over the things that have poisoned you. You don't have to worry about running away from those things anymore. They can be turned back around and used for good in your life. So watch this. I can start throwing the bread of life over social media. And that thing that once poisoned me at one time, once I start throwing Jesus all over it, becomes a platform for me to proclaim about the goodness and the grace of His love and His mercy and His forgiveness in my life. It doesn't have to poison you when you start sprinkling the bread of life all over it. I'm not bashing social media. I told you guys that. But if you're going to use it, you've got to start flinging flour all over it. You've got to start pouring the bread of life into it. You've got to start using it not as a means to compare, but as a means to evangelize. Not as a means to, to internalize everything that you've got going on and portray it through a screen, but bring people to Jesus to expose them to the gospel. When I start spreading flour, when I start putting the bread of life over my relationships, they don't have to poison me anymore. Some of you could, could avoid some toxic relationships if you would just start bringing the bread of life into it and he would transform those relationships. Instead of you being influenced by the things that they're doing, God through his power at work in you can start using you to influence the things that they're doing. 
But you've got to bring the bread of life into the mix. You're in a dating relationship, put the bread of life in the middle of it. Find a man or a woman of God that pushes you closer to Him. That doesn't lead you into doing things that are immoral and unjust and ungodly. Bring the bread of life into your relationships and start, stop allowing them to consume your life and put you in places and in positions that you shouldn't have been in. The same way with entertainment. When I take the bread of life and I start sprinkling it all over the entertainment things that I consume, then that changes the kind of music that I listen to. That changes the kind of movies that I watch. That changes the kind of things that I subscribe to or that I binge watch on Netflix. When you bring Jesus into the, the entertainment areas of your life, you can start doing those things for His glory as well. When somebody gets in your truck, what comes on the radio? When I put the bread of life in the middle of my entertainment, man, my playlist is nothing but worship music. The same way with achievement. You put the bread of life in the midst of your achievement, then all those things that you're trying to do, all those, those grades, that career, everything that you're trying to achieve in your life, it doesn't just go for your glory, it goes for God's glory so that you can proclaim Him through the things that He has blessed you with. So that you can point people to Christ through your achievements, not just point the finger at yourself. we got to get the... Uh, poison out of the pot of our lives things that we have allowed to subtly creep in that looked good at first that seemed harmless but have been poisoning you hindering you from growing in your walk out hindering you from hearing his voice simple solution all you need is some flour all you need is the bread of life and then that thing that used to poison you you can now drink it to the last drop using it for the glory of God Hey, this is Trey Mitchell, college and young adult pastor. I just wanted to say thank you for listening. It's our prayer that God uses these messages in a way that challenge and encourage you to live for His glory. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior, we would love to help you with making that decision. Just reach out to us through our webpage at underwoodbaptist.org. Be sure to check back in with us next week as we again encounter God through His Word here at Life.